This morning, before we open up the Word of God, uh, we are going to have another uh, brief testimony from one of our brothers in Christ. Uh, Psalm 50, verse 14 says, Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. Uh, That verse is representative of many places in the Psalms, and it's kind of uh, easy to gloss over what the psalmist is saying in that verse. Here's what it means to perform our vows to the Most High uh, in the context of the Psalms. It means to, when God answers prayer, when we call out to Him in faith and desperation, and He delivers us, then to perform our vows to the Most High is to testify in the assembly of God's people that God has done it and to give him thanksgiving and praise specifically for the way that he has answered prayer and the way that he has blessed. And uh, there is a brother who uh, has, he approached me several months ago and he said, you know, I would like to share how God has worked in my life in terms of uh, the way that he's, he's cultivated a heart of generosity in me and uh, the way that, that he's changed my life through that. And uh, he mentioned it, and I thought, okay, well, that's a nice thing to say. Um, but then he mentioned it again, and then a couple weeks ago he said again, Are, am I gonna, it seems like it's getting to be about time where I need to get, give that testimony. And I said, you know what, next week you can give that testimony. And uh, it'll segue, I think, right into our uh, uh, sermon this morning. So Roland McMinn is going to come, and Roland, if Carmen can stand up here, then uh, I'm not going to ask you to stand down there. Uh, you can stand up at the pulpit and share what the Lord's laid on your heart. Thank you. I'm Roland McMinn. Most a lot of you know me as Snooker, and a whole lot of you didn't expect to ever see me up here. <laughs> but uh, my story: Marianne and I joined the church in 2004, and. Uh, We've enjoyed it ever since. We moved away for a few years, but we came back. But my story starts right over here in this room. Probably Carla came to us, and she had a friend from Africa wanting to come over here. And uh, they passed the plate. I wasn't paying attention to what was going on. Marianne handed me the checkbook. She said, you take care of this. And I looked at her, and she said, and I thought, what, what is she talking about? So I wrote a $500 check. And uh, not knowing whether I had the money or not, you know. And, and uh, on the way home, I said something to her, and she said, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. You know, well, I was still scratching my head, you know, wondering. Well, two days later, I come home from work, and I get the mailbox, and there's a deal from State Farm. And I thought, well, you know, they've gone up again. So I give it to Mary Ann, and she comes in in a few minutes, and she says, uh, you need to sign this. And I said, well, what is it? And she said, it's a check from State Farm where we've overpaid them $504. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute, you know. So I told Pastor Guy about it, and he gave me some scriptures to read in Luke and 2 Corinthians. And I started studying, and, and it got my attention. So we started giving more, giving more and all we could. And then later on, Marianne decided she wanted to do mission work. Well, she talked to a guy on Sunday and on the way home she told me what it was going to cost and I said whoa wait a minute you know and she said well God told me to have you give give me a hundred dollars and the rest of it would come well it wasn't any time so people in the church and the church was giving you know helping her out and the money just just was there people we didn't even know and then the second mission she went on she said something about 
uh, I'm going to go again. And I said, well, okay, you know, we need to start putting it together. And she said, yeah, in about 10 days, you know, she said, I'm there. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute, you know, this is too easy, you know. So it really got my attention. Then I got involved a little bit with her in her center of life and, and the Salvation Army, and I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. And I saw people that needed, and we didn't have a lot, but we were able to help other people. And it really made me feel good. Well, we'd bought a home from my cousin when we came back from Colorado, and we'd bought it worth the money. But uh, anyway, uh, we were paying him pretty good money on it a month, and his wife had died, and I was over visiting with him, and we still owed him a substantial amount of money. And that day, he said, I got something we need to do while you're here. And he went into his file cabinet, and I was just still talking to people. And he come over, and he handed me this piece of paper, and he said, you know what this is? And I said, yeah, it's a copy of the note on my house. And he said, look at the back page. And he'd written on there, paid in full, and he gave us the note on our home. And he said, Marianne's going all over the world telling people about Jesus, and and you need to slow down working them so much. And I said, well, I'm not going to do that, but, you know, thanks a lot, you know. And that, that really helped us a lot, you know, so we were able to even give more. And that helped me a whole lot. And, and, and I mean, it's just, it's just unbelievable how the more I gave, the more I received. And, I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's just something that's it's just worked excellent for me. And uh, it's just... Like I said, you can't you can't give too much. You can't outgive him. It's the words of guy, and uh, and it's just it's just our generosity has just paid off. I mean, it's not like I don't give money expecting the money back, but it's the fulfillment and everything of it. I mean, it's just it's just unbelievable. And uh, like I said, it you know you can go put your money in a CD or whatever, but give some of it to God, and I guarantee you that God will pay you back better than that interest on that CD and then I guess I'd like to close with a story in 1993 I was in Dade County Florida working for a government contractor making real good money but I was spending every penny of it on drugs and alcohol I mean just from day to day and I came home from work one day and my boss handed me a note he said there's a lady called here today for you and wants you to get in touch with her and I looked at that note and it said Marianne Roberts and I had no idea who that was, you know, and I was, I carried it for a day or so, and I called, and it, the Marianne Roberts that I'd called was Marianne Swenson that I'd gone with off and on all my life since high school, and I hadn't seen or heard from her in 17 years, and I had, you know, I, when I got the note, I thought, well, who's traced me down, you know, who found me in Dade County, Florida, you know, but anyway, I called, and she said, uh, she was driving down the road, and God said, find him, get in touch with him, he needs help. And, uh, I, you know, and she told me that, and I thought, you know, I thought to myself, you know, what on earth could, you know, what, on, what could I need? I've make, got plenty of money, you know, I'm making and a drug addict and alcoholic with plenty of money. I hadn't got a problem as far as I was concerned, you know. And, uh, but anyways, I knew I was in trouble when she got off that airplane because she looked like a million dollars, you know, and a whole lot different from the people I'd been running with. And, uh. She worked on me for several months and got me back to Texas, and she's been working on me ever since. In fact, she tells me from time to time, she said that God was mad at her when he sent her to Florida to get me, you know. <laughs> and, and she still reminds me, but it's, uh, like I said, the, the giving is where it all started out for me, and, and of course, y'all all know that 
you know, Marianne's a special person, or I know that for sure, and I think some of you know it also. But I, what, uh, now I can see that God had sent an angel to me to Stade County, Florida, to try to save my life. Because I was going right down a trail that I'd just gotten out of. I mean, I was in trouble. I was either going to be dead or in a penitentiary. I mean, that's just, I was destined. And uh, she came down there and got me out of that mess. And, and like I said, she's been, she's been working on it ever since. But I told her before she started it was going to be a full-time job. But I love the path that I've been on lately, and I love Indian Creek, and, and I'm sure that angel's watching me right now on, on, the, on the video, and, and she may get on me for telling part of that story, but uh, like I said, the church needs, we, we need to give, and we need to build that church. And uh, I, as a gentleman that knows a lot more about money than I do, told me the other day, that if we had 80 people that would give $50 a week, we could pay it, you know, in a hurry. Well, when we first started this project, I started doing my part, and I do, I continue to do so every week. So we just need 79 more people, you know. <laughs> and uh, and I, I just like to, you know, on Wednesday night, walking those little children across that road and that weather and everything, it's, you know, like I said, I'm looking forward. It'll work me out of a job probably because we'll just be going over here. But I love doing it, and uh, I love each and every one of you, and thank you. Thank you, Roland. Uh, let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles now to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I, I realized when I sat down, I had no idea what Roland was going to say, <laughs> but thank you for sharing what you shared. Uh, let's go ahead and read uh, the sermon text today. Is, is the entirety of chapters 8 and 9, but let's just go ahead and read chapter 9 and beginning in verse 1. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, Now it is superfluous for me. To write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year. And your zeal has stirred up most of them, but I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to, to you to arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that, you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower 
and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission, flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, this morning we are so grateful for your generosity to us. Jesus, thank you that even though you were rich and enjoyed the riches and the glory and the honors of heaven and the myriads of angels singing your praises constantly without end and the fellowship between the Spirit and the Father and the Son, you laid aside those riches and you became poor so that we, through your poverty, might become rich. Father, thank you that in Christ we have all things. Thank you that we have uh, wealth that cannot wear out or be stolen from us in the gospel of Christ. Lord, this morning we uh, thank you as well for the testimony and the thanksgiving of our brothers and sisters here. And I pray that you would... um, Uh, particularly for Marianne, who wasn't able to be with us physically this morning. I pray that you would restore her health completely and uh, that we would be able to continue to rejoice with her for your healing power and for your grace in her life. Uh, Lord, we know that there are many others who can't be here today uh, for that very reason. And so, Father, I pray that you would sustain and heal and bring your peace to these brothers and I pray that you would uh, just show your, your power and your greatness in their lives. Uh, Father, I pray that your gospel would be proclaimed this morning clearly in a way that's effective and that changes lives, not just here at Indian Creek, but all across our county, and that you would bring about renewal in the city of Mineral Wells and in our entire region, and that you would bring many uh, hundreds, thousands to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we uh, are at a time where we, as I said last week, need to begin thinking about a commitment. Every one of us, at different points in our life, we reach these forks in the road where we have to decide which way are we going to go. Are we going to go to the left or are we going to go to the right? Which path are we going to take? Are we going to go with the flow and kind of coast in life? Or are we going to really reach with everything we have for the opportunities that God has placed in our path? Uh, Maybe you know what I mean. Think back to high school, to that moment when you realized... Yeah, I I can keep goofing around and I can coast and I can just do the bare minimum and I can probably get through high school and be, uh, you know, uh, sort of average. Uh, But if I really apply myself, I could achieve the academic goals that I have. And so I'm going to decide. I'm going to take this path. I'm going to take the difficult path and I'm going to go for it. 
Or maybe uh, in your relationship with your spouse. At one point, you just remember back to uh, years ago when you had to decide that you were going to give your heart, your whole heart to that one person forever and to no one else without looking back. Or maybe your professional career. You realized that uh, the path that you were on was a dead end and you recognized that you could, you could keep going down that way, but you decided to do something different and you took a risk, you made a change, and after a lot of hustle, you're on a better trajectory. We all have these forks in the road that we meet and we realize that I've got to do the hard thing. I've got to take the harder path in order to achieve, in order to get to the place that I want to go. Well, folks, churches have these types of forks in the road too. Churches like Indian Creek. There is the easy path, the safe path, the predictable path, And then there's the path that leads to greater things, greater fruitfulness. I think most of you will agree with me that we are approaching just such a divergence of pathways, a sort of fork in the road, at which point we'll need to make a decision to to walk down one way or the other. And this this can apply to a a number of different things in the context of the church, Uh, but I think you'll agree that we're certainly at such a point right now. The last several weeks, we asked the question, what kind of church do we want to be? If you're new here, uh, if you're visiting for the first time, uh, you're kind of catching us in the middle of this question. And uh, we we began to answer this question a few weeks ago. We wanted to be a faithful church, a church that tenaciously pursues the glory of of the master rather than just playing it safe. We want to be a praying church, moving forward only as the Lord leads. We want to make sure that we're in God's will, and so we're constantly in prayer. We want to be a grateful church, a church that constantly remembers our identity in Christ and the fact that God has blessed us in so many ways, and we're just thankful to be a part of the body of Christ. We don't have to be impressive. We don't have to be the coolest church. We don't have to be the best church ever. We just need to be the body of Christ, and that's enough. And then last week, we made the observation that if we're really going to be a faithful church, a praying church, a grateful church, then those things are going to lead us kind of naturally to be also a generous church. And we gleaned four principles from 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Uh, Generosity is a gift of God's grace. It's a personal decision. Generosity is not just for rich people. And then generosity is enjoyable. And I promised you last week that today you would get six more principles uh, about financial generosity. But... As we, uh, this past week in, our, in my office, as, as we normally do, David and Andrew and I were going over the sermon and uh, they were kind of giving me some feedback on it and, and, and somebody who asked not to be named uh, counted them up and he said, wait a second, there's only five principles here. And I said, no, 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 there's, let me go back over them and uh, there's six and as it turns out, I, I only have five. So <laughs> I'm sure that you uh, won't mind that you only get five principles. We were trying to make up an extra principle, but I just decided I'm going to own it. And uh, I'm not going to make up a, a principle just to, you know, for the fun of it, okay? Uh, so today we'll have five principles of generosity, making a total of nine. Uh, so consider with me principle number five. And these are in no particular order. Principle number five, generosity is infectious. Generosity is infectious. I know your readiness. 
Paul says in chapter 9, verse 2. Of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. So did you catch what happened? Paul has been working on this big project. He's been at it for months and months. He's going around to the churches in Europe and Asia Minor that he had helped to plant years before, and he's saying, listen, we've got to help our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. There's this famine taking place. People are starving. And so I'm asking you to dig deep and, and, and provide a financial gift so that you can support your brothers and sisters in the city of Jerusalem because they desperately need the help so that they don't starve. And last week, we made the observation that Corinth is the biggest city in this region that he calls Achaia. This is like basically southern Greece, uh, and it's a wealthy city. But the churches in Macedonia, uh, churches to the north in, in places like Philippi or Thessalonica, these churches were quite poor. And yet Paul says here that when he was in Macedonia and he shared with those believers that, that the Corinthian brothers to their south were gearing up to make a big donation, that zeal, that testimony stirred up those churches to dig deep into their own pockets and eagerly generously give themselves generosity the generosity supposedly of the corinthian believers infected the churches of macedonia generosity is infectious uh, it stirred up their desires. We, we've spent the last two years trying to avoid infection, but there are types of infections that are good to have. Uh, when I was studying for this message and I was kind of getting ready to preach on this particular point, I immediately thought of a friend of mine uh, that I've known for a long time. His name's Kendall. I uh, haven't uh, talked with him in a while. He's a busy pastor and, and so am I. And, so, and he lives in Pennsylvania. We live in Texas now. And um, so it's been a while, but I remembered his laugh. Uh, he just has this no-holds-barred, infectious laugh. It's one of the things Mandy and I have always loved about hanging out with him and his wife. Uh, we would get together. We've been on vacation with them, and uh, we're, we're getting together in, in the living room or something, playing a game or just talking, and, and Kendall starts laughing, and then we all start laughing, and before long, we're just laughing, and nobody knows what we're laughing about because he's just got an infectious laugh. There are some types of infections that you want to catch. I'll give you another example. The other day, our neighbors were out front just a week ago, and they set up this like uh, cage or holding pen in their front yard, and they, they brought out these three beautiful, brand-new puppies and put them, like I think for the first time of their life, you know, on the grass inside this little holding pen. And uh, Manny and I walked over and said, can we hold one of those puppies? And we held the puppies. And in spite of the fact that uh, because I'm a jogger and I jog around Southeast Mineral Wells, I have a very strong opinion about the amount of dogs in my neighborhood. Uh, but I was, even in spite of that, I was immediately infected with a love of puppies uh, because they were just so cute. See, not every infection is bad. And generosity is this way. Uh, you'll find that this is a bug you want to catch. I mean, did you hear Roland talking about his experiences with financial generosity? Roland, he's not a, he's not a car salesman. He's not going to be probably, Roland, the next president of the United States. I don't know. He's not a politician. He's not, he's not somebody that uh, gives motivational speeches to crowds of thousands. But when he's spoken to me 
about the, his experience with financial generosity, I just get a little bit envious. Like, man, I want to have a testimony like that. So let me ask you a question. Do you want your life to make an impact? Do you want your life to make a difference for good? Not, not everyone has the gift of gab. Not everyone has a magnetic personality. Not everyone has a lot of money. Not everyone is a fantastic athlete that people come from miles around to see play the game. But I'm telling you, if you allow the generosity of Jesus Christ and other followers of Jesus to sort of infect your heart, if you become a generous person, a person who holds the things of this life loosely, then you will have opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to make an impact on the world. You don't have to be particularly smart. You don't have to be particularly attractive or wealthy or cool. You just have to be generous with what God has given you, and you will find that your generosity does more than just helping that other person out financially or meeting some kind of immediate need. Your generosity actually begins to infect other people, and what you'll find is your life is beginning to have an impact on so many others. Generosity is infectious. It will change lives. That's principle number five. Principle number six. Generosity often requires planning. Generosity often requires planning. Uh, Sometimes I think we get the idea that generosity needs to be spontaneous in order to be genuine. Like if you you weren't thinking of it and then all of a sudden the Lord lays it on your heart and then you've got to give some money to some need. Like that's real, pure generosity. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that, but Paul would disagree with this idea that it needs to be spontaneous. It, sometimes it requires planning. In fact, if you go back to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 16, uh, you'll see that Paul actually encouraged the believers in Corinth to start saving up for this particular act of generosity like a year before. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 through 3. He says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I'll send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. So here's, for the last year, the Corinthians have been setting money aside every week for this one project. And then going back to our passage, look at chapter 8, verse 16, you'll see the level of intentionality and planning that, that Paul built into this process. Look at verse 16. He says, thanks be to God who put it into the heart of Titus, uh, who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care that I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. So Paul's sending two people, Titus and this other unnamed person, And then verse 19, not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. Why do they do this? Why is Paul taking all these other people along with him? Verse 21, or uh, verse 20. 
We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that's being administered by us, for we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. So here's what's going on in, Paul, in Paul's plan. Notice what he's doing. He's assigned one of his deputies, this apostolic apprentice by the name of Titus, to oversee the collection process, and then there's this additional unnamed person who's appointed for accountability's sake. And what we find is that even in the very earliest stages of the church's life, God's people are handling financial generosity with these sort of uh, rudimentary, uh, ordered, planned, best practices that Paul puts into place because he wants to make a plan. He wants to plan well, and that that planning is going to make this whole thing more effective. say, Jake, what's the point? The point is that generosity often requires this type of planning. Uh, it's, It's not a bad thing to organize a little bit. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing to go home and and speak with your spouse and make a plan and look at your budget. It's a good thing to plan. It's a good thing to look at your budget and think through how it's all going to work before you actually make a commitment. Sometimes generosity requires a little bit of planning. From time to time over the last several months, I've heard people say something like, hey, uh, just remember the church is not a business. And I've said that. I agree with that. Uh, And I think one of the reasons we say that is we want to guard against a pragmatic, visible results-oriented approach to ministry, focusing on budgets and buildings and uh, bodies instead of the souls of men. And we need to be on guard against that. But... Here's, here's the point I'm trying to make. Conducting ourselves with a measure of excellence, with a little bit of planning and intentionality, is not bad. It's good. It reflects the excellence of our Savior. If following best business practices with regard to the way that we maintain our buildings or the way that we handle our finances, that's a good thing. That reflects the testimony of Paul. It's actually a matter of wisdom and humility. In fact, I believe it's often a function of the way that God has gifted his church. Some of you have these tremendous gifts of administration and, and organization, and I say let's use those gifts for the glory of God. You know, for some reason, we tend to shy away from the reality that the church, as much as we might observe that it is the body of Christ, as much as the church is the family of God in Christ, is also an institution. And Jesus planned it that way. So let's not think we know better than he. To the degree that the church is an institution, that it is appropriate and wise and good for us to get together and collaborate and plan and debate and deliberate about what we intend to do moving forward on our knees. Generosity requires a little bit of planning sometimes, and I think the project before us is a case in point. This is a big project. No matter what we end up building, folks, let's just be honest, it's going to cost a lot of money, whether we move forward with the plans that we have or we scrap them and go with something else. And so if we're going to do it, I just think we should do it with purpose and intentionality. And I think the example of Scripture 
is sufficient to make the case. So I don't mind asking you to plan. I don't mind asking you to go back to your family, look at your budget, and make a plan. And then we have to make a plan as a church. So what that means, just to be really practical, is that you have to go back and, and find that sacrificial giving envelope in the packet that you received a few, a few weeks ago. And you need to have a conversation with your spouse and with your family. And you need to fill that out and, and bring it to the church so that we can plan together, not so that we can uh, have a, a, a rah-rah moment for you, uh, but so that we can plan together as a church. This is a need-to-know piece of information. None of us wants to broadcast how much we give, and we're going to keep that confidential, but it does help us to have a high-level understanding for what everyone's plans are. Listen, it's a personal decision. I already said that last week, but if we're going to make that personal decision, it's okay, it's appropriate, it's good to make a plan. Financial generosity often requires planning. Uh, Principle number seven. Generosity is a community project. Generosity is a community project. Uh, Look at chapter eight, and let's read verses 13 through 15. Uh, Paul says, I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. So understand the concern here. The Corinthian believers may have been tempted to offer up an objection. Hey, wait a second, you're trying to take advantage of us just because we're a little bit more wealthy than the next church over. Uh, you want us to carry all the way to the cost. You want, us to, you want to do without. You want us to do without so that these other people can live comfortably, and, and that's just not fair. And Paul says, not at all. That is not where we're going at all. Sometimes God gives you more than you need, and you can serve your brother. And at other times, it's your brother serving you. We all pitch in together, and through that means, God provides for all of us. And, and, and it's interesting, I think, that Paul even brings up this idea of fairness or equality. Uh, what is he saying? Essentially, he's saying this, that when one part of the body is suffering, When one part of the body has a need, uh, there are other parts of the body. They can't all do equal things to support that need, but we can all have equal focus and energy devoted toward the need. Uh, One member of the body may be positioned to offer a lot of relief or help or assistance, whereas another part may be positioned uh, only to help a little, but the point is that the need is met by everybody. In other words, we ought to care about others as much as or more than we care about ourselves. We pitch in together uh, to meet the need. You say, what does that have to do with us today? Well, I, I think we can say generosity in, in, in the Christian church is a community project. It's a reflection, folks, of our unity with one another in Christ. It shows the world that we are one. Jesus calls us to bear another's burdens, to endeavor to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Uh, In our current ministry setting, I think this has some specific entailments. Uh, For example, this is one of the reasons why I would encourage you 
some of you are thinking, you're just overwhelmed by this whole process and, and it's new to you. Uh, you been, haven't been walking with Jesus for very long and you're like, wow, so, so I guess what you're saying is I should get out my checkbook and, and write a big check to build a building? That's just, uh, is that what you're asking me to do? And, if, and if, if you're in that situation, here's what I would encourage you to do first. Uh, become someone who regularly supports their local church through uh, regular giving. Uh, before you support the building, uh, consider being a regular giver to your local church, whether that's Indian Creek or somewhere else. The reason why, uh, the reason why I would encourage you to just become a regular giver to Indian Creek Baptist Church or to whatever church you belong to is because when, when we give toward the, the general fund, is what we call it, undesignated gifts, then what we can do is as a congregation, as a whole, as a family, we can go through the budgeting process and we can assign that money as needed instead of each one of us coming to the table and saying, this is my pet project or this is that. Look, we need to make sure we take care of this. We need to make sure we take care of that. We can come together and say, hey, we've got, everybody's kind of putting their money into the same place. Let's go make sure uh, that we can take care of the ministry needs. Uh, many people who have been following Christ for a long time, give 10% of their income to the general fund, undesignated, and then they give over and above that to specific ministries. And uh, that's not spelled out in Scripture, but that kind of discipline has been very healthy for the church because it allows the body as a whole to pitch in together and decide where that money goes. We all pitch in for the exciting things, supporting missionaries, uh, sending people on mission trips, and we pitch in for the non-exciting things like paying for insurance and utilities. Uh, if I can get a, a little bit more specific and just offer a little bit of counsel, uh, if you've reached that point in your walk with Christ where you've not been a, gen, uh, a, a, a regular giver to your local church, but this whole building campaign has encouraged you to start, let me just encourage you that instead of starting with the building campaign, you start with giving to the general fund on a regular basis. That's what keeps this whole operation humming and gives us a chance at the beginning of every year to funnel as much of, of those gifts toward missions and outreach as we possibly can. Uh, the whole idea, though, is that for a Christian, our generosity is another way, friends, for us to show solidarity with one another as a church. It's a community project. Principle number eight. Principle number eight, generosity is a matter of sowing and reaping. Generosity is a matter of sowing and reaping. Now, I'm going to move through this pretty quickly here for the sake of time, but, but consider with me all the places where this is mentioned in chapters eight and nine. Uh, chapter eight, verse 10, Paul tells them to give, and he says, quote, this benefits you. Chapter 8, verse 23, he says it's for your benefit. Chapter 9, verse 6, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Chapter 9, verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you. Chapter 9, verses 10 through 15, he's going to increase the harvest of your righteousness. So what, what we see in, in Paul's writing here in these two chapters is this argument begins to develop. That when we engage in Christian generosity... Led by the Holy Spirit. What we're doing is it's kind of like we're planting seeds. 
And we're, we're sowing these seeds, and the expectation is that the, the harvest is going to come. And, and if everything goes according to plan, I mean, imagine you're, you're going out into your garden, and you plant seeds. Do you expect to get the same amount of seeds back in your garden that you planted? No, you expect to get many times more. And this is what Paul is saying. He, the seed takes root, it grows, eventually harvest time comes, and you get more than what you put in. But this is very... Uh, easy to misunderstand. So let me just tell you what it does not mean. This is not what Paul's saying. He's not saying, hey, give me a thousand dollar check and then next week or next month, you'll get a windfall profit of ten thousand dollars. He's not saying you're going to get rich (laughs) off of giving to your local church. He's not saying give generously and you'll have more money than you know what to do with. No, most of you already know that, but I suspect a lot of us think, man, you know, it'd kind of be nice if it were that way, wouldn't it? It would be really cool. And I just want to say, no, it wouldn't. It's not good. It wouldn't be good for us. Let me give you some reasons why. First of all, that kind of thinking, if that were the way things were, that would encourage the love of money. Hey, thanks, God. I gave a little bit. I get a lot back. I'm just rolling in the dough. But, but Paul says in another place, the, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. He says it's covetousness is idolatry. We need to be on guard against that. Another reason, think about the kind of relationship that that would create between you and God. What would, that do, what would that do between your relationship with God? Uh, people who think that they can give a little seed money and then get back a financial windfall from the Lord begin to think of God as this spirit to be manipulated magically rather than a father who needs to be worshipped and trusted. Christians are not witch doctors who magically manipulate the divine. We are his children. He is in charge. We don't play games with God. We trust God. Third problem with this, what we're doing, if if we embrace that way of thinking, what we're saying is waiting on the Lord means nothing. But if you read through the Bible, waiting on the Lord is everything. Waiting on the Lord is so critically important. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Peter says trials Trials provide an opportunity for us in our hearts to be refined and purified. How often we assume that if we're facing a trial, it's because there's something wrong with us or there's something wrong with God, but that's not true. You see, according to the Bible, that trial is purifying and refining us. God's ways are best, and they often involve a gap of many years between the sowing of the seed and the reaping of the harvest. Waiting on the Lord is so critically important to the Christian life. Here's another reason. This would destroy us morally. I mean, if God were in the habit of showering money on us, making us rich whenever we give financially, then we would be destroyed morally because instead of learning to treasure God as God, we would be trained to do good things simply for the material benefit those acts would earn. And finally, this, if this were the way God acted toward us, this would totally destroy faith. Faith is a very specific and very necessary quality of the Christian life. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
It is the substance of things that we have in our wallet already, right? No, it's the substance of things not seen. It's the evidence of things, not, of, of things hoped for. Therefore, if I can see it with my physical eyes, it's not faith. If I can see, hey, that guy just gave $100 and he got 1000 back, that's not living by faith. That's living by sight. And God wants us to live by faith. So I just want to point out that, that the Bible is not saying that. So what do we mean? What is Paul saying? What do we reap when we sow these seeds of financial generosity? Notice chapter 9, verse 6. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. But what do we reap? Verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you, having all sufficiency in all things at all times, may abound in what? In every good work. What do we reap? We reap every good work. Verse 10. What is the harvest? It's the harvest of your righteousness. So what do we reap? We reap righteousness. So what Paul is saying is that the first thing we reap is every good work. We reap righteousness. In other words, what you're doing is you're sowing these seeds of justice and mercy and generosity and kindness, and then what are you going to reap back? You're going to reap greater growth in justice and mercy and generosity and kindness, and you're going to grow, and you're going to have more opportunities to be that way. Your generosity is going to cause you to grow closer to Christ and more faithful to him and more like him that's pretty good but then notice what else he says look at verse 11 you'll be enriched in every way and he really does mean in every way but the difference between what the world entices us with what we might be tempted to believe and what scripture actually says really comes down to timing When do we realize these gains? When do we reap? Is it when the wheat has just sprung up? That's not when I want to reap. I'm not a wheat farmer, but even I know that. You got to wait. Is it when the apples are green? No, you got to wait till they're ripe. And that's going to involve some waiting. Wait on the Lord so diligently. Don't give up. And in due time, you will reap. Trust the Lord Jesus. The day will come when this time of plowing and planting and watering and weeding and waiting will seem like seconds in in view of the expanse of eternity. And the day is going to come when you will be enriched in every way and it will just be overwhelming and it won't be worth comparing to what you've sown. There's a third thing, though, that we reap when we sow seeds of generosity. Notice verse 11. It's going to produce thanksgiving to God. In fact, according to verse 12, it's going to overflow with many thanksgivings to God. And so this leads us to our last principle, principle number nine. Generosity. Generosity is infectious. It sometimes involves planning. It's a community project. It involves sowing and reaping. And finally, principle number nine. Generosity glorifies God. Generosity glorifies God. Look at the kind of harvest God is after when he instructs his people to sow seeds of generosity. 
He is zealous for the gratitude of many that redounds to his own glory. They will glorify God because of your submission. So there is a reason why God, there's a reason why God doesn't just dispense the money to the church. There's a reason why he wants us to do it a certain way. Because, when, folks, it's because it overflows with thanksgiving that glorifies his name. I mean, think about it. In the world, when, when some wealthy family donates money to build an art museum or fund scientific research, uh, nobody is really all that surprised. In fact, we're so cynical, we probably think, you know, they're probably getting a tax break on that. But when God's people, people of all stripes, people of all walks of life, when we as a church get together and meet the needs of the church, whether, no matter what they are, when ordinary people dig deep and give sacrificially for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then God is glorified and many give thanks to him because there is no way to explain what is going on apart from the fact that these are people who have an identity in Christ. They know that they've been given a free gift, a gift that's worth more than anything in the world, and they are just paying it forward. Folks, this is God's plan. This is what he wants to communicate. When a whole church, when, a, when, a peop, when people uh, get together with these things, the only, the only explanation that people can come up with is this. Those people must have, they must have encountered something that's worth more than this life. And folks, when we reach that level of generosity, as individuals and as a church, God is glorified. It gives us the opportunity to put our money where our mouth is and to say, look, folks, the only reason why any of this is happening is because God gave us a gift that can't be earned, that never wears out. He offers us his salvation in Jesus Christ for free. By the way, if you've not received that gift, it's free. He paid this incredible price to offer it to you for free. And generosity is just saying, I want to be like that. So, Indian Creek, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. The gift of Jesus Christ and the gift to be able to be like him when it comes to generosity. Generosity.